get both feet in and hold on to your bonnet. We've got some interesting things that we're looking at here tonight in the Word of God. And uh, <clears throat> when you get your handouts, you'll notice here that the name of our subject is the restitution of all things. The restitution of all things. Praise God. And uh, we've got a lot to talk to you about, a lot of things to cover. Praise God. I bump it up just a notch. Maybe one more notch so we can get as big as we can. All right. And uh, our message is entitled The Restitution of All Things. And uh, I want you to go to the book of Acts. And we're looking here at Acts chapter 3, verse 20. Acts 3 and 20. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. This is a statement that was made in a message that was preached here uh, by Peter. <clears throat> and uh, if you look here in this 20th verse, I'm looking here at 320 in the book of Acts, reading 20 and 21. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. This is Peter preaching to the Jewish people now. Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. Until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Praise the Lord. There is coming a time of restitution of all things. Praise the Lord. The word restitution has a similar meaning. I'm going to move on into this one here. Uh, it's similar to the restoration, but not. Uh, but it's more than just the restoration of all things. The word rest, rest, restoration means to restore it means what was lost is turned back again and given back again. But restitution goes beyond that. So I'm going to talk to you first of all here about the, the, about the restore. To restore means to return, to give back, to reimburse, equal to that that was lost. And I'm going to give you an example of that. And uh, I'm going to go to number two here. And I want you to have you to turn with me to the book of Exodus <clears throat> I'm, part, I'm sorry, Leviticus 25.8, 25.8, and we're going to talk to you for a moment here about the year of Jubilee. Look at this very closely here. Now, without getting into a lot of uh, detail, but trying to stay with the subject here, the Lord had told Israel, this is all brought out in Leviticus chapter 25, starting in uh, the first few verses, verse, first several verses there. That if that every seven years of their farming the land in Israel, every seven years they were to let the land rest. In other words, you farmed it for six years, and on the seventh year you let the land rest. You didn't farm it, you didn't reap it, and he said, in the sixth year I will give you enough food from your farming that you will not need to even farm the seventh year and let it rest, let it be a rest to the land. All right, so he told them to do that. 
the Jews went along with that for a great while, but after a while they said, why let the land just sit here? Why not go ahead and farm it that seventh year? And when some of them started doing it, nothing happened. Fire didn't fall from heaven. They didn't, they weren't consumed. So they kept on doing it. The next generation, I mean, the next, the others around them started doing it. And pretty soon they were all doing it. And they never let the land rest. Ironically, I'm going to just, I'm just touching on this just lightly. Ironically, under uh, Eisenhower, our president, President Eisenhower, when he was president, under his administration, they discovered that if they would let the land rest ever several years, the land would perpetually grow crops and would never get old and, and, and wear out. And so they finally discovered that. It, it took them that long to discover it. Well, God knew all of that to start with. So when he gave the land to Israel, he said, let it rest every seven years. And so they would. Now, they did that every seven years. They, they really followed the system. This is the way it worked. Every seven years, they would do that. And it's the seventh time, seventh time they did that. Seven times seven would be 49. The 49th year, the land rested. And when the 50th year came, it was the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, they let the land rest again. Two years in a row. And the Lord said, I will give you enough food. The land will grow enough that you will not have to farm it for two years. You give the land rest. Give your animals a plow the field and reap and all that. Give them a rest. And the Lord said, you know, just follow my system, my plan, my way, and it will always work for you. And so forth. And then he said in the 50th year is the time of Jubilee. Now, to uh, just jump ahead a little bit. The Jews got where they wouldn't follow that system of uh, letting the land rest every seven years. And when they were finally taken into captivity by the Babylonians, the Lord said, you're going to have to stay in captivity for 70 years because you did not let the land rest for 490 years. Now I'm going to require it of you. I'm going to require it of you. Let me say this, folks. God can put up with a lot of things for a long time, but after a while he does require some things. So let's always be faithful to God, and God will always be faithful to us. I'm going to move on, though. That's not the year of Jubilee that I want to talk about. If you look at this 25th chapter of the book of Leviticus in the 8th verse, Thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee seven times seven years. This is what we were just talking about. The space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee uh, forty and nine years. Go jumping down here to verse 10. I'm saving time here. Ye shall hallow the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you and ye shall return every man unto his possession and ye shall return every man unto his family. Now in the course of 50 years, it's possible that a guy could have had some hard lucks or had some bad times and he had to sell and, and uh, everything else. even uh, had to become a servant to somebody else because he couldn't even afford to, to, to farm his own land. Things could just get bad. But when the children of Israel went into Canaan's land, the Lord said, all of the 12 tribes of Israel, they all have a portion of that land. And then the people in that tribe had a portion of the land that was committed to their tribe. So everything. 
And so this is the way it was divided up. So they all had a big chunk of land, and it was big. It was well, you know. And then as time went along, they passed that along to their children and everything. It's possible that a man could have sold the land, and then his son wouldn't have any land. But when the year of Jubilee came, the land was given back to the family. Even though the man may have passed on, it went to his son. You understand what I'm saying? It went back to his sons, to the family. And so this was called the year of Jubilee, and it was handed back, and it was a lot that was talked about here, how that everything was given back in this land of Jubilee, this, this time of Jubilee. Jumping down to verse 13. In the year of this Jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. Now, this is a restoration. This is a restoration. In other words, they were returned what they had lost and it was given back to them because it could be given back to them. Now, I'm going to go a step further here because there's more involved here than just that. Look at number three here. The land that was sold in the past 50 years was restored to its original owner. If a man, for instance, knew he only had 25 years and the year of Jubilee was coming and he'd have to return the land, he would only pay what the land was worth for 25 years. Not for 50 years. You understand what I'm saying? Or if there's only 10 years left, he only paid enough for 10 years. Because he knew that whenever that 50th year came, the land would have to go back to its original owner, the guy that he had bought it from. So that no matter what happened, it went back to the man or to his family if he wasn't around. And, of course, his family took it from there and so forth. Now, go to the uh, go to number a two here, a B, a B here, number two. But some things cannot be restored as they were. Look at this closely now. This is where we're going. In other words, the restoration is one thing, but the restitution is something else. B, some things cannot be restored as they were. There has to be an additional compensation or restitution. It's not enough because you can't restore what was lost. Now, land cannot be lost. This is there. It's going to, not going anywhere. God put it there. And so it always could go by the year of Jubilee, and it could always return back to its owner. Now, you're there in Leviticus 25. Uh, go over to, uh, I want you to go here to Exodus, I mean, uh, but, yeah, go to Exodus 22.1. Exodus 22.1. Praise God. Now, here's a law of the Lord and how he had to handle some things. Look at this closely. This is an example only. Only an example here of what we're talking about, the restitution. It says here in 22.1, If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it, he kills it. So that ox can't be returned. That ox is dead. He should, uh, he should steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it. He shall restore, restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. Now, this is what the Lord is saying. If you cannot, if it cannot be just returned as it was, then you have to uh, five times that. That's what he's saying here. I'm jumping down to verse 5. And the Lord goes through this 22nd chapter talking about a lot of issues that had to do with everyday life for these Jewish people. 
And I'm not going to get hung up in all of the details, only to bring out this point. Look at verse 5. If a man shall cause a field or a vineyard to be eaten and shall put in his beast and shall feed in another man's field of the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard, shall he make restitution. Now we're talking about the restitution of all things. He shall make restitution. If fire break out and catcheth in thorns, so that the stacks of corn and the standing corn of the field be consumed therewith, he that kindleth the fire shall surely make restitution. Now what we're saying here is that some things are lost and they're lost forever. Now that means that there had to be a restitution made. It goes on to talk about how they were to handle that, how he was to do it and so forth. Uh, and uh, verse 12, and if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution uh, unto the owner thereof. So this uh, 22nd chapter brings out the restitution that God said that has to be made. What he was saying was that there had to be a compensation for that that could not be restored. And the compensation was always you do more. If a man, for instance, stole something. Uh, you don't just give back another ox and take his place or another sheep. You gave back five times that much. God required that. He required it. Now, I'm bringing out something here to you because with God, folks, anything that we ever lose in serving God and walking with God and being his child, the Lord will not just return, but he will compensate for that. He will give us back more than what we ever give up. And I say that because a lot of us have lost things in living for God. If you live for God for very long, you're going to lose some things. Some things God will restore. Some things God will give back. But some things can never be given back. But God will always compensate over and above anything that you ever lose if you walk with God and serve God with all of your heart and all of your soul. And this is why the Bible uh, mentions over here in the book of Acts, the restitution of all things, not just the restoration, not just restoring it, but the restitution. That is, God compensates more over and above and beyond whatever a person may lose, but God will always make it up to them and will make it right. Praise the Lord. And I want us to understand that today because some things, folks, can never be restored. Not in this life. Not in this life. But in the life to come, in that eternity, God has a divine plan in which he will have a restitution for all things. You will never give up for God anything in this life that God will not compensate over and above and beyond what could ever be given up here in this life. And that's saying a lot because sometimes some people have, have, have lost some, some very precious things. Uh, some people have lost their child, their children. That's, to me, it's got to be one of the greatest heartaches in life is to lose your children. And I, and I want you to know that God will be a one that will always make up. I know there's some here right now. I know you've lost children in your lifetime. And uh, God will always make it up. If not in this life, you say but in the life to come, praise the Lord, he will always make it up. Now, I'm just going to show you that this is God's way of doing things. I'm using Daniel here for an example. I'm going to move very quickly here.
I want you to look with me here in uh, the talk about Daniel. I want you to go to Second uh, Kings. Second Kings. Now, this is uh, this is not about Daniel, but it is about Daniel too. And if you look at Second Kings sixteen, I'm going to read sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen. This is chapter twenty of Second Kings and verse six, uh, chapter. Chapter 20, verse 16. And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah was a king, direct descendant of David, and he was a good king. He's a very good king. Isaiah was the prophet of that time. He wrote the book of Isaiah. And uh, probably one of the largest gospel, one of the uh, largest uh, uh, prophecy books in the Bible. And he wrote the book of, of Jeremiah. Of, of Isaiah, and Isaiah said to Hezekiah, came to him and talked to him, because Hezekiah had been a good king, and they had withstood a lot of the enemy and done a lot of things, but Hezekiah had just done something that God was displeased with. Hezekiah, the Babylonians came to visit Hezekiah, just to, just to talk to him, make friends with him, nothing serious, and Hezekiah began to show these Babylonian ambassadors the wealth that he had there in Jerusalem. It was a little bit of a pride thing. And he showed him the gold and the silver and his palace and the temple. Showed him the temple and how this temple was the temple of God. And it was had gold and silver and all this kind of stuff. And Hezekiah had done that to all of these ambassadors. And they all said, oh, that's fine, Hezekiah. Very nice. Nice to meet you and nice to know you and we send greetings to you from our king well this is what isaiah said to hezekiah this starting verse 16 hear the word of the lord behold the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into babylon nothing shall be left saith the lord in other words, you were show off, now it's going to be taken away from you one day by the Babylonians. Verse 18, and thy sons, look at this now closely with me. Don't, don't lose me on this. And thy sons that shall issue from thee, that shall be born of thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. The Babylonians will one day take them away. And they shall be eunuchs. In the palace of the king of Babylon. Now the word eunuch here means they would have their manhood taken away from them. That means that your sons, uh, Zechariah, because of what you've done, not only this gold and silver is going to be taken, but your descendants. Now, uh, this actually happened. It actually happened. And uh, it said their manhood would be taken away from them. I'm going to have you go with me to Daniel. Very quickly here, Daniel. And uh, if you look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. Daniel, Daniel 1, 3. This is the next verse here. And the king spake unto Asphenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, 
but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And now verse 6 says, Now among these of the children of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And this is Daniel and what we call the three Hebrew children. And these were the four young men that had had their manhood taken away from them. Daniel was one of them. And they had been taken to Babylon. They were the fifth generation from this this Hezekiah. Fifth generation. A direct descendant of the king. This king's lineage. They were the fifth generation. And they were taken captive by the Babylonians. They were taken over there. And the king of Babylon did that so that they would always be totally loyal to him. They would have no wife. They would have no children. They would have no commitment to nobody else. It would always be to the king. And that's why they did that. And so these men then would be in the king's court. But God, praise the Lord, has a way of compensating. Compensating. Now, that can never be given back. It's just like we're talking about the ox that was slain. That manhood was taken from them. That cannot be given back to them. They'll never have that. But God has ways of compensating he has ways of of uh, restitutions for that in this life i'm going to talk to you about this life and then even after that uh if i could take just a moment here and show you what happened here in chapter two it's going to talk to you about this in chapter two nebuchadnezzar this was the second year that nebuchadnezzar was king this was their second year being in babylon now as uh, eunuchs there they were young men the Bible calls them children, but they were young men, actually. Uh, they were, I don't know if they were 14 years old, 17, 18 years old, I don't know, but somewhere in that uh, teenage life is where they were. And uh, what happened was the king had a dream, and he dreamed that he saw this image. I won't go into detail on it because this is a study in prophecy. And uh, he saw this image, and it bugged the king, and he couldn't get it off his mind, and he called all of his wise men in and all the soothsayers and all the astrologers, everybody that knew anything different than beyond what the average person knew, called them all in. And he said, now, tell me what this dream is. Tell me what this dream is. And they said, well, we can't. We don't know what it is. You tell us dream, we'll tell you the interpretation of it. He said, you tell me the dream, and I'll know you have the interpretation. And if you don't do it, off with your heads, every one of you. So Daniel and the three Hebrew children, we'll call them that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was their Babylonian names. They began to pray and seek God, and the Lord revealed unto Daniel what the dream was. And Daniel called them and called this, uh, this guy that was the head of the uh, eunuchs, he said, go tell the king, don't sweat it out. I got the answer. I'll come in for him and tell him what it is. And so Daniel went before the king and told him everything that he dreamed and told him everything that it meant and everything that it meant. And the king was just blown away by Daniel's knowledge and his, his wisdom and everything involved in that. And the Bible says that he had a great uh, respect for Daniel 
this is in Daniel 2.48. If you look at Daniel 2.48 with me real quick here. Then the king made Daniel a great man. This is afterwards. Well, I'll read verse 46. That's even more profound. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel because he had told him the dream and commanded that they should offer an oblations and sweets odors unto him. And then in verse 48, though, is where I'm going with this. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many gifts, great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Now, here he is, second year, he's a teenage young man. But God is making up for him for things that he had lost. And the chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. Look at verse 49. Daniel's going to pay, make good of this. Okay, now I'm going to be somewhat. Then Daniel requested the king, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was their Babylonian names, over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king, which was a very prime and, and very the foremost position that he had. What I'm trying to point out to you here, folks, is that God was making up to these young men in a measure in this life what they had lost that they could never be that could never be returned to them. Uh, I'm saying all of that to let you know that God, praise the Lord, never lets things just go without Him knowing about it. And that he will make up many things in this life, but some things even in this life he cannot make up. And he'll make it up in the life yet to come, even. Now I'm going to go just a little bit further here. And this is Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1 through 3. Look with me in this. Daniel 6 and verse 1. And it pleased Darius. Let me explain here what happened. Between chapter 2 and chapter, uh, I mean, over here chapter 6, between 5 and 6. What happened was Nebuchadnezzar finally lived out his life and died. Then his son reigned for a short time, and then his grandson, Belshazzar, he reigned for a while, and he was a very wicked king. And Daniel interpreted on the wall, the handwriting on the wall, that his kingdom would fall. And the night that Daniel interpreted that, about the Medes and Persians, the second kingdom, would come in. They came in and conquered the Babylonians, and they became the big empire. They took over all the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and Persians. Well, that first king of the Medes was a man by the name of Darius. He was 62 years old when he was king, and he took over the, the Babylonian Empire. And he took a liking to Daniel. Now, isn't that like God does things like that? He took a liking to Daniel. They said, this is Daniel. He's the one that interpreted. He was the one that knows how God thinks, and he can give interpretations of God. And he said, I want this guy close to me. So uh, this Darius took a liking to Daniel. So here he was, one kingdom falls, a new kingdom comes on the throne. And instead of Daniel being taken down from being over all of Babylon, he is honored yet by this new king over the new empire. Do you understand here how the Daniel is being exalted here? And he's looking out for his friends too, those four, the other three. Look at verse chapter 6, verse 1. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. This is him now establishing 
the media Persian Empire, which is today Iran, and, uh, and would be Iran and Iraq together. And he said, 120 uh, princes which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents. In other words, he put over these, uh, these, over these uh, 120 princes, three presidents, of whom Daniel was first. You see what he did? He put Daniel now, the very first of the three presidents over all of 120 princes, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. In other words, nothing could be blamed on him. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now, uh, I won't go any further here, but only to say this, that there's a lot of jealousy to get involved. They conspired against him. They said, what can we do against Daniel to get him down off of the, uh, the position that he's in? They said he prays three times a day to his God to, towards Jerusalem, and they got the king to build a school and say, you know the story there. I won't go into detail. Make a long story short, Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord stopped the mouths of the lion. And the lions, when Daniel was in there, they absolutely couldn't open their mouth. They had no desire for Daniel. I mean, forget it. And he was like little kitty cats. Daniel shoved one up down, laid his head down and said, I'm going to spend the night right here. Laid his head on one of those lions, mangy fur, and just slept all night, had peace in God. The next day, he told the king, don't fear, I'm still here. God shut the mouths of the lions. Everything's all right. Then they had the bad guys, they had them thrown in the lions den, and the lions, then they opened their mouths. And Daniel, of course, was taken out. Now, look at verse 25. I'm jumping over here to 625, and this is, I'm going to wrap it up with this about Daniel here. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and tongues that dwell in all the earth. This is Darius, now that new media Persian king. Peace be multiplied on you. I make a decree that in every, uh, every denomin- uh, dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. He's saying that Daniel's kingdom, God has a kingdom that will not be destroyed, and he's right on target with that. And his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and, res- and, res- and, uh, uh, and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth. Who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? He mentioned this. And then verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian, who came after Darius, who was the next king. Now, and then it, it, it goes back into the other things that Daniel did, the prophecies that he had, and so forth, starting chapter 7. Now, I'm saying all of that to say this, that God exalted Daniel. Do you see what I'm saying? All through his life, he exalted Daniel. Folks, there are some things in this life that God cannot repay us in this life. But God will bless us and help us in this life. But in the life to come, praise the Lord, he will restore everything that will ever be lost. Everything. The pastor preached the other night about 
uh, about David losing that oldest son of Bathsheba that he had with Bathsheba, the oldest son. He said, I cannot bring him back, but I can go to him. He knew that one day he would see him as a child. Praise the Lord. I mean, as, a, as in eternity. So babies, small children, anyone who may have gone on, they'll be in heaven. If you don't have no other reason to live for God, live for God because God has got something greater than what our wildest dreams and imaginations have. We cannot begin to imagine what God has for us on the other side. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. And I'm telling you that because I want you to say to yourself, I'm not going to ever fail God. Don't ever give up on the Lord. Don't ever go back on God. Praise the Lord. Walk with God. Serve God. Be faithful unto God because God will be faithful unto us in everything and in all things. Praise the Lord. Let me move on a little bit further here. Uh, Daniel was put on the, I did that D there. Let me go to number three here. In serving God, whatsoever we lose will be more than compensated in eternity. Whatever we lose. Now, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11 for a moment. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Praise God. And I want you to look with me in verse 24. This is where the New Testament begins to talk about these things. Of course, the scripture that we read to you over in the book of Acts speaks about it. Now, look at 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, when he was a grown-up man, he had been, you know, found by the Pharaoh's daughter. She had claimed him as her own baby, and he grew up in the in the in royalty. Moses grew up as one of Moses' grandchildren. Let me put it that way. And he was in the king's palace. He knew all about all that stuff, the splendor. And at that time, Egypt was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. And Moses grew up in that kind of an atmosphere, wealth. Splendor. I mean, you name it. They had everything you can imagine. Everything. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, that is, when he got grown now, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh-uh. I'm not Pharaoh's daughter. I'm this little handmaid out here, this Israelite, this one of these, these little working people, these slaves. I'm one of, I'm, I'm her child. And that's what he chose to, to say and to believe and to walk and to be. That's what he chose to be because he knew that's what he was. Praise the Lord. Now, he said, I refuse, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing. There's some things in life, folks, you just have to choose. You have to make a choice. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to live holy and righteous. I'm going to, I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to serve God with my whole heart. I'm not going to be, you know, not going to be a Sunday morning Christian, as they call it. I'm going to not only go to church, but I'm going to be a child of God when I'm out of church. When I'm out there walking around, I'm going to look right, walk right, talk right. And uh, one fellow said, spit white. <laughs> I mean, he didn't chew tobacco. I'm just going to try to be a good Christian. 
Amen. Not going to smoke, do drugs, all that mess. I'm going to be a child of God wherever I go, whatever I do. Praise the Lord. You won't be find me in a bar sitting on the counter stool there drinking something, you know, whiskey or wine or whatever it is. You won't find me there. I'm going to be a child of God in church and out of church. Everybody with me on that? And so it says choosing rather to suffer the afflictions, the affliction with the people of God. He knew they were afflicted. He knew they were cracking the whip on them. He knew they were horse whipping some of them sometime if they didn't get their work done fast enough and soon enough and all that kind of things. Making They were slaves. They made slaves out of them. So he saw all those things going on. And it says here, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. For a season. This is what Paul talked about, you know, uh, talked about uh, Demas. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. This is a companion of Paul. Paul one day said, I'm tired of being a Christian. I'm tired of, of, of uh, just not having anything. I'm tired of doing without. I'm tired of preaching the gospel and not having substance and rich and wealth and so forth. And he went to Thessalonica. And the history tells us he got into politics there. He lived out his life and died in that country. My son and I were there, and I've told you this before, but I never will forget it as long as I live. We were in uh Thessaloniki, they call it now Thessaloniki, Greece, which was Thessalonica. And it's a modern-day city. It's the second largest city in Greece next to Athens. And uh, the old city that Paul was in is there. It's in a big area. It'd be probably, I don't know, five, ten times as big as this auditorium. I cannot even even begin to describe it. Maybe like the size of this of, of our land here, the whole land area, the whole seven acres. Uh, it would be that large. And uh, and it was down below the street level, about like maybe the window up there, down to the to the floor. And uh, we had to go down steps to go into the old part. And we walked around, and you could see the stones where they were the foundation of the old city. And my son was over in one part looking. We were just walking and looking, and I was walking and looking. And all of a sudden, out loud. Just to myself, out loud, I just said it without even thinking that I was out. I said, Demas, you gave up everything for this? This is what he gave it up for. Look at it. Look at it now. It's nothing. And he gave up eternal life for this. And then I got to thinking, that's what people do today. They give up serving God and eternal life for this, for what we have. But what we have today, one day will look like that. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus should tarry at will. And if, it, if Jesus doesn't tarry, it'll look worse than that. <laughs> I'm just saying, folks, don't ever give up this wonderful way that we have of living for God, serving God, walking in truth, walking in his spirit, serving God, living for him. You may go through some hard times. You may lose some things along the way, you know. I was thinking the other day, I've got a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it's about people who gave their life because they would not recant their faith in Jesus Christ. 
And somebody would say, you recant or you're going to die. My son and I were in Belgium, and we went to an old castle there. And in the basement of that castle, they had these torture chambers all around there. And they said back in the medieval times, they'd bring in Protestant Christians and say, recant or else you die. And they'd say, no, we're not recanting. They'd put on things like this and had all kinds of machinery and equipment and things on the wall and everything else. But these people gave their life. They gave their life. And I think to myself, God, would I ever do that? I don't know if I would or not. I, I don't know. I hope I've never put that position. But I, if I ever was, I would hope that I would. You say, what's your point, Brother Myers? I'm saying that that can never be restored in this life. But over there, but over there, praise the Lord, God has a blessing and a reward for you. Uh, I'm here in this... Uh, this is the 11th chapter of, uh, of Hebrews. Uh, let me uh, jump over to verse 33 for a moment. Verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, that was Daniel, quenched the violence of the fire, that was the three Hebrew children as they're called, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weak, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Verse 35, and women received their dead raised to life again. That was like Elijah. The woman had a son that died and Elijah brought him back to life again. And that's found over in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. I won't get into that. And then, but it's, look what it says in the next statement. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others. Praise the Lord. That's talking about those in the Old Testament. And I'm talking to you about those who have died in the New Testament. That is in this, in this, for the last 2,000 years. But what I'm trying to say here, folks, that God will always be faithful. Anything that we ever give up, God is going to give back much more than what we ever give up or what we ever lose. I'm going to finish reading. I'm going to back up now to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 again. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing. Rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming, look at this closely now, esteeming the reproach of Christ. This is among the Jews that were slaves in Egypt before Moses ever brought them out. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Well, you say, wait a minute, Brother Myers, Christ wasn't living back then. No, but they had the hope of the coming of Christ. You see, those Jews believed and they knew and they'd been promised through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that one day the Messiah was coming. The word Christ means Messiah. Messiah is the, is the Hebrew word. Christ is the, is the Greek word for it, New Testament. And so Christ, praise the Lord, means Messiah. They had the hope of the Messiah back there. All they had was a hope. One day we're going to have the Messiah and he's going to deliver us. One day Messiah is going to come and he's going to raise us up. We're in slavery right now. We're being pushed around. 
but we believe in our Messiah. And the Bible said that he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. The reproach. This was Moses. I'm just trying to tell you folks that what he gave up, he could see the world in front of him, but he said that's not where it is. The future is going to be with God. Praise the Lord. And, the, and I, I esteem and, and, and exalt and honor the reproach of the Messiah, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Respect unto the recompense. You know what that means? That means that he knew that anything you gave up in this life, God would give back more than what you could or would ever give up. And that's what that, and that's what that simple statement means. He had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The reward of God would be far greater than anything he would ever have here. You'd say, Brother Myers, wait a minute now. The Moses uh, finally went back and he led the children of Israel out. They went through the desert, went through the wilderness. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses was out there, smote the rock. Water came forth. They drank water. They fed manna from heaven. Then Moses went up on the mountain and died. He never did get to Canaan's land. You know, he said he, he, didn't, he didn't get there. And he left Egypt and all that wealth and all that wonder. That's okay. He knew that it was talking about eternity. He knew there was more beyond all of this, praise the Lord. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus went on the, up on the mountain there, and, 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 and James, John, and, and, and James, John, and Peter were with him, amen, and Jesus was, you know, illuminated, Moses and Elijah were standing there with him, praise the Lord. Now, what I'm trying to say here, folks, let's have faith in God. I'm talking about real faith in the Lord. Whatever you do for the Lord is not going to fail. Whatever you do for him, whatever you have to give up for God, whatever you sacrifice for God, whatever is required of you of the Lord, praise the Lord. Let's be willing to say, Jesus, I believe, hallelujah, that you will reward beyond anything that we could possibly ever give up in this life to walk with you, to serve you, to live for you, to walk in the ways of, of God. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know the Lord, folks? Aren't you glad his promise? Aren't you glad of his goodness? Praise the Lord. Let me just touch base on one of the things here as I'm going to finish up with this. I'm not going to read any scripture on it, but number four here. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they sinned in the garden, they had some things that God had given them. They lost it. When Adam and Eve sinned, they and all mankind following lost their innocence they were innocent when they ate of that fruit they were no longer innocent that's why they sewed fig leaves together clothes try to make clothes out of them the lord you know said we're naked and the lord said who told you you were naked you ever been in the house sometimes and company's there and everything and there's a little three-year-old or two-year-old or something like there boy girl back in the back of the red room they change the clothes. They run out there and spin and run around. Everything, no clothes on. Anybody ever experienced that? All right, a few of you have. They run around and clothes. They look, and everybody laughs because they know they're innocent. 
Now, if Grandpa came out and run around and everything, <laughs> better put him back. Better put him in the in, in some nursing home someplace. You know, I'm just saying that wouldn't that wouldn't that wouldn't go. They wouldn't go for that. But the little kid, because there's an innocence there. And Adam and Eve, when they were first made, though they were adults, they were innocent. And they had no shame or no about clothes at all. You got some people, they try to be that way, but that doesn't work. They got these beaches and stuff like that. Folks, that ain't, it ain't there. Let me just tell you that. I, I believe with all my heart, those people are just trying to, oh, I'm not going to get into that. They're trying, to, they're trying to be what they're not. All right. But this uh, innocence, praise the Lord, they lost that. Adam and Eve all lost that in the garden. They lost innocence. That's the number one thing. They lost relationship with God. Because after they had sinned, they were, and the Lord said, Adam, where art thou? Where are you? And they went and hid themselves. They hid themselves. Because they knew they were naked. They hid themselves. They lost that relationship with God. And after that, and after God had put that, pronounced upon them all that would come upon them and everything, the Lord separated himself. So sin separates us from God. That's why when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're baptized in his name, you begin to feel the presence of God. God's spirit and God's presence comes to us. It comes inside of us. It's within us. And the Lord is walking with us in that sense of the word. Praise the Lord. So we have that given back to us in a measure. We can let it slip any time, that wonderful uh, relationship with God. Now, I'm going to go a little bit further here because I know my time's getting away here. Look at number three here. Paradise was lost. Paradise. Paradise was lost. In other words, they never had to do anything. It was all there. They just picked fruit off the trees. They, they picked up things on the ground. I mean, like growing ate it, no work involved. And after the sin, the ground was cursed, and the Lord said, By the sweat of your face shall you earn, instead of your brow, shall you earn your bread, you know. And that so man from that time on has had to, the sweat of his face to try to make a living and everything. This is about the way it goes. All through life we cannot get away from that. Amen. When I was a young man I did construction work. In fact when I first came to this city I did some of the construction work, outwork and plastering, stuff like that, working swimming pools. Uh, folks, I was so hot, sweat just run off your face, you know. I'm just trying to say here, but I said, no, that's God's way, that's God's plan. I'm not there yet. I'm still here. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> By the sweat of your face, praise the Lord. So we have, we lost that paradise. They lost that paradise. And then, of course, they lost eternal life. This is the last one there. They lost eternal life. Because they had been promised that if you never eat of this fruit, you'll live forever. You'll live forever. They'd never die. But in the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And when they did, they passed along that death unto us because we're the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But Jesus, the second Adam, came. He came to us and brought us eternal life. Praise the Lord. So Adam gave us eternal death, but he gave us eternal life, Jesus Christ. Folks, I'm telling you here. Don't ever lose out with God. Whatever the price is, you know, we, can, we may go through some hard things. I, I don't know. There's, I'm sure, people in this audience who have been through some really, really hard things. 
and you've lost some things and you'll never have it back. But you know what? God is a restitution of all things giver. He's the one that's going to give it all back beyond anything we could have ever lost over here. If you've lost loved ones and if you've, they've gone on before you, we'll see them over there. We'll be there with them. They'll be there with us. Praise the Lord. I remember just before my mother passed away, just before she passed away, I had a dream one night. And I saw her walking through a crowd of people. And I used to see this sometimes. And she'd work her way through a crowd and she'd see me and she'd brighten up and smile. And then she'd come over to me and take my arm and we'd go into maybe a church sanctuary, into the church sanctuary together. Just like in the Pensacola church. And I, in this dream, I saw her going through the crowd and she was holding a man's hand that was looking straight ahead. And she looked over at me and I looked over and I said, Mom? In my dream, I said, Mom? And she looked at me and she had the most beautiful smile on her face. I feel, I feel the, I feel the Holy Ghost just talking about it. I, she had the most beautiful smile on her face looking at me. But she never came to me. She kept walking straight ahead to some doors that were right in front of her. And she had a hold of this arm of this guy that was leading her that way. And he was going through the crowd and holding her and taking her. And she just smiled and she looked at me and smiled and just kept looking at me and smiling, but never turning away from where she was going. And when, and, and I knew instantly in that dream that she was going through those doors. That was death. And she was going to heaven and that angel was taking her. Praise the Lord. Now all of us have lost, lost loved ones. Some of us have lost loved ones very young. But when I woke up, and I said, thank you, Lord. You've let me see. My, my mother was one of the most beautiful smiles. As long as I live, I'll see that smile that she had on her face in that dream that I had. And I want you to know here today, folks, that one day, praise the Lord, the Lord is going to let us see not only our loved ones, but we'll also see, praise the Lord, the Lord himself, the one who died on Calvary, paid the price, suffered. He suffered. He suffered. On that cross for us, for us, took our place. But because he did it because he loved us. And one day we'll see him face to face and we'll praise and worship and glorify him forever, 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 and forever. And everything you can imagine greater than what you can ever imagine will be there for us and beyond. And it will be for eternity. There will be no, no shortening of life. Like they lost eternal life, but he has given us eternal life, and it'll be forever. Shall we stand together and just thank the Lord here tonight? God bless you. You're such a good audience, and God is so good to his people. Let's praise him right now. Lord Jesus, we praise and love you and glorify you, Lord. Thank you for being the wonderful Savior that you are. Thank you for the hope that you've given us, God. Thank you for the word of God that is a light unto our feet and a path, lamp unto our pathway. Thank you, God, that you care about each and every one of us. You know what we're going through. You know our battles. You know our struggles. You know all the things that come at us. And you're able, Lord, to help us in everything and in everything that we may face. We ask you to bless us all. Be with us, God. We glorify your precious and wonderful name and meet back with us again at the appointed time. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. God bless you, amen.
You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Everybody say praise the Lord. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.